This is Chris Enriquez from Spotlights and Light Tower, and you're listening to the New Scene Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with another brand new episode. And on this week's show, we have David Castillo. He's in Primitive Weapons with the great Chris Enriquez. And David is in Confines now, which is a electronic music project that David's been doing for a little while now. He does his own original music. He does great remixes for other bands that we know and love. And of course, he books at St. Vitus, and he was involved with getting that venue started. There's a lot of great conversation in this. There's tons of stories about classic shows that have happened at St. Vitus and the Nirvana reunion that happened a little while ago. And of course, uh, all the music David has been creating and what he's up to now. That conversation is coming up shortly. But first, here's how you can support the new scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Follow me on Twitch at The New Scene. Shirts. We have a selection of shirts available at Deathwish Inc. Head over to the store and search The New Scene. Pick up a shirt. It's a great way to support the show. Reviews. Give us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I am trying to get us over 200 reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We're getting close on Spotify, but we've got a long way to go on Apple Podcasts. Open up the app, hit the five-star button. Also, you can always email me at newscenepod at iodinerecords.com. Also, don't forget to check out the New Scene 2023 Spotify playlist. I put all of this year's guests on there, as well as my own personal recommendations. It's a great way to hear all the music associated with the show. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings, Stretch Armstrong, A Revolution Transmission, the vinyl repress and remaster is out now and there's new merch to go along with it. There's still a couple variants left, so pick one up before they're gone. And remember, if you're going to Fest, there's a ton of great Iodine bands playing. Quicksand, Jerome's Dream, Garrison, The Iron Roses, Audio Karate, Her Heads on Fire, Dead Bars, Rebuilder, Love Letter, Horsewhip, No Man, and Hey Thanks. Gotta go check them out. Fest is happening at the end of this month down in Florida. Go! If you have the opportunity to see these bands, go. Six Going On Seven, Method Actor, the LP Remaster, is on all streaming services right now. Gotta go listen to that. That's a good one. Also, there's an event at Generation Records on Sunday, November 5th, celebrating 30 years of Slip by Quicksand. And this event features Walter Schreifels, Norman Brannan, Melinda Beck, John Marcus, and Casey from Iodine Recordings. They'll be discussing all things Quicksand and the Slip re-release on Iodine Recordings. I'm going to that for sure. That's going to be awesome. And once again, that's at Generation Records in New York City on November 5th. And there's some Darling Fire shows coming up. October 19th at Tua Lingua in North Charleston, South Carolina. 
October 21st at Monufest in Tampa, Florida. We're headlining that. October 26th at the Brass Mug in Tampa, Florida. And that's with Madball. And hey, thanks. Really looking forward to that one. And October 27th at Flickr in Athens, Georgia. Sign up for the Iodine email list. You'll find out about everything first. For more information, head to the Iodine Instagram at Iodine Recordings or to their website at iodinerecordings.com. Also, don't forget to support this month's sponsor, Evil Greed. Evil Greed is an online store and merchandise company based in Berlin, Germany. It's a carefully selected and curated roster of bands and labels. Evil Greed is the online marketplace for bands and labels to sell their merch and for us to buy that merch. They have stores for all of our favorite bands, Drain, Incendiary, Power Trip, Scowl, Knocked Loose, Military Gun, Botch, you name it, they're on there. They've got all the biggest labels too, Triple B, Closed Casket Activities, Flat Spot Records, and of course, Iodine Recordings. They offer very fair, very cheap, and very fast worldwide shipping, especially to the USA. So go and check out the full line of merchandise at evilgreed.net and follow them on Instagram at evil underscore greed. You'll find out about all the latest merch drops and all the new stuff coming in right away when it's announced. You don't want to miss out. Okay. So listen, check back in with me in segment three. I'll tell you everything that's going on with me. But right now, we are going to speak to David Castillo of Confines and Primitive Weapons. Enjoy. All right. We are here now with David Castillo. David, welcome to the show. Hello, Keith. How you doing? I'm doing great, David. And you know what? It's wonderful to have you here. You know, you're up to a lot. St. Vitus, Primitive Weapons, Confines. Dave, you're doing it all, and we're going to talk about it all. But first, I want to ask you, how are you doing today? Today's been pretty good. Busy day. Um feel like as far as work for St. Vitus goes, there's a good amount of shows that are announcing before the holiday. So just taking care of a lot of that. And I just finished up a Confines record this weekend. So lots going on. And then I'm also a new record that is remixes of a song that I did that came out about a year ago is coming out tomorrow. So music of like all angles of it 
is what's happening pretty much, which is what I kind of do. <laughs> You're doing the best of both worlds, working in music, booking for St. Vitus and being involved there and also playing and performing music. It's got to feel good, right? Yeah, I think it's uh, one and the same. I enjoy it. Um, and it's just, I don't know, I, I kind of, the only reason I kind of work in music, it, it really feels like a bit of a forced thing to even say because it, it sort of happened like just naturally. Like these are the things that I enjoy, that I like doing. And it just started, you know, booking shows and doing that stuff when I was like a kid, when I was like fucking 16 years old, 15 years old, you know? And uh, it just had always been that. So yeah, like I just sort of continued to grow in various ways. And I wasn't ever really thinking that it would really be my job per se. Like, oh yes, I am pursuing this as like a job. It kind of ended up becoming that, but it wasn't what it was from the outset at all. I feel that. I, I feel like that's my story too. Now, music isn't my main job, especially my main job that pays, but between the podcast and now performing in a band again, I feel like it very naturally became a full-time thing and a full-time thing that I really enjoy. So I feel that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's cool in some ways. In other ways, it, it kind of, you know, you have to be willing to really make it the center piece of, of life in, in certain ways. And sometimes that can, depending on who you are, it can kind of hurt the passion sometimes for it or other things like that. So you just have to be kind of careful with it, I think a little bit, but yeah, overall it, it, it's great. And I've enjoyed the path so far. What's a typical day look like for you? Are you at home uh, sorting through hundreds of emails about booking St. Vitus? Do you have to go to the actual venue every day? What is it? What's your day look like? Um, it really depends. I mean, mostly, you know, day to day is, is just making sure that we have, you know, enough shows and that everything's performing well. And, uh, just to make sure that calendar is full at Vitus is the, the main thing. And we also do some shows outside of our venue as well at some bigger venues and help other people promote their shows in the city as well. So it's just really looking at you know, I usually wake up and I look at a calendar, you know, like my email and the calendar. And I'm like, okay, what does this calendar look like? And does it look good? Or does it look like shit? And uh, if it looks like shit, that's a big problem. If it looks good, that just leads to making sure that, okay, cool, we got to make sure that uh, everything that's on there is is doing what it, it should be doing. And in a typical month, for us, I mean, we do between, you know, 30 and 40 events. So it is you know, between shows and parties and external events outside of the venue. So it's a lot and we have a great team. Shout out to Lee and Andy and our production staff, Jeff, all our bartenders, um, Lainey, like all these people, you know, work for us and, and help us, you know, pull all this shit off, man, you know, but it, it sort of starts that process with, with me um, booking stuff and the rest of the team booking stuff. So, you know, that's what I, I normally look at, like, no matter what. And then, of course, I like going to see shows. Like, uh, I think it's really very important to just be a part of it and just to see bands, see if they're fucking good, see what that show is like. Was it good? Was it okay? Did it sound all right? How, you know, just just feel it. How is the crowd? Oh, it was kind of like, eh. or it was like, man, the crowd was fucking electric for this, you know? 
Um, yeah. My, uh, being in the room, I, I think, is important. Maybe not, you know, for everything or as much as I, I used to be when I was a younger person, per se, but, you know, or when, you know, whatever it is I'm doing, you know, you have to have a bit of balance in life, but I still like going. So I'm probably at the venue on average, like one to two times a week to take in some shows. And that's not counting the other things I like to do. You know, maybe I go to a, a nightclub and I see like an, an awesome DJ or I go out and I'm performing myself and I'm just, you know, an artist that day, but you're still kind of experiencing music in one way or another. Right. So yeah, yeah that, that, that's usually the two main components of, of what I'm doing. Uh, confines. This is a heavy electronic band. What do we call it? Band project. I don't want to use the wrong word. No, here. I would say, uh, I would say project. Um, it's just me. Uh, yes. so, you know, it is one of those, uh, things I kind of, you know, uh, I haven't played in a band in a, in a while. Um, you know, primitive weapons never really broke up, uh, but we just haven't played in, in ages and maybe that'll change soon. We'll see. But, um, I started making electronic music about like five ish years ago, just learning about it. And I'd never really, um, made, I've been a singer in a band for a long time. I've never really like made music. So it was a way for me to make music by myself just to kind of learn that process. And that's basically sort of where the name comes from, like just the confines of yourself and trying to like learn and make this thing. And yeah, it's, um, you know, I would say that more than anything, it's influenced by industrial music, but, you know, just really kind of like heavier, darker club music in general. Um, and that's just kind of what I've been, I'm working on for a while now. And I really enjoy it because I'm able to kind of go at my own pace and, you know, just learn a lot. You know, I think uh, I was in a, you know, between Primitive Weapons and, and White Widows and stuff, I was in a band kind of continuously for almost shit, man, like probably like 15 years or so, you know? So mm. I kind of, uh, to a certain degree, kind of knew what I was doing or felt like I knew what I was doing. You know, when you've made some records and maybe a couple of things that you're proud of and you're like, cool, this is really like starting from square one. And that's almost what made it really interesting and exciting. Like, fuck, I'm just fucking around. I don't know what I, you know, how to achieve this sound or, or, or do that thing or like writing or what, what I'm even kind of doing. It's just more of an exploration, you know? Um, I just kind of knew what I liked and I'd love to go out to go dancing and listen to that kind of music and stuff like that. So, you know, we do a lot of that kind of stuff at Vitus as well. Shout out to Andy and Synthesad who does a bunch of that stuff and uh, Nightwave and a bunch of other people like that. So yeah, it, it was it was just a way for me to kind of continue being creative and also just go up a, a new road. So it's been really exciting and yeah, I'm super stoked on everything I've been making lately. Yeah, I wasn't sub- I was not surprised to see you were doing that because Vitus does have a lot of different DJ nights that are good. And uh, so I figured you must have some kind of influence on that. But how would how do you get started making electronic music? It seems so foreign to me. Like, I guess I would have to get Ableton and maybe start messing around with something. But how did you do it? Yeah, you know, um, it was really foreign to me as well. And I'm, I'm really lucky to be blessed with very gracious friends um, who are willing to 
show me that sort of thing. I, I never played an instrument. So growing up, like, you know, I could fuck around a little bit with like a bass, a guitar or, or anything. But, you know, I left that up that up to the professionals, you know, when you have I was playing with, you know, Chris Enriquez and Artie Shepard and, you know, pretty much people who are in bands that I grew up listening to religiously who are fucking incredible like so in my mind i'm like just trying to keep up with them like and as songwriters like lord you know like i'm just like okay cool i I can do like my role in this so i think that i didn't really even have a context for songwriting which i think in terms of like just making it from square one which i think really um I think that almost helped me because I didn't, I had nothing else besides, okay, I end up with something and then I put my voice on top of it, you know? So I had a, my friend Soren showed me how to use a, a, like a drum machine and a sequencer and stuff like that. And just kind of working off of that, it was a piece of gear called the Electribe, which was very popular at a time. It was cheap and easy to use. And he really taught me a, a lot of things. And Soren was in a wonderful band called Rosenkopf. And then he made a bunch of electronic music on his own. And so he started to teach me things and I really enjoyed it. And we had like a little short lived project and we played a couple of shows. And then I started kind of, you know, taking that knowledge and, and learning some more. And then like my friend, Ryan George, who plays in youth code, he helped me out a little bit and taught me certain things on certain pieces of gear. And I just, you know, there's a, with that kind of music, it's not like your band, when you have a band, your band usually tells you, Hey, I like this, or I don't like that. Or maybe we can play it this way or that way. You really, you know, need to develop a little bit of a community around this. Cause it's a, uh, it's a little bit of a more solitary pursuit. There's not a ton of bands involved in this sort of music and so that's kind of how I started learning. And then like a lot of YouTube <laughs> between those two things, you know, I started really picking things up and now it's really crazy. I produce records in my, in my house completely like uh work up the blood, which was the last confines record. I had been going to my friend, Travis Bacon to help me produce some of my music and stuff. But then the, the lockdown hit and and you know and and the pandemic and the lockdowns and stuff and so i was just home and i just was like you know what i'm gonna just learn more and more and more about making music on the computer at that point it was very much more hard hardware oriented uh even though i learned how to like record myself a little bit and then it just really opened up even even more and learning about that and so then some engineer friends came into play and it was like learning a lot more about that so yeah it's been quite the journey and now i just make records front to back like in my home studio where i'm talking to you right now which is insane to me because i never thought that that would be like sort of possible but i'm like a competent 17 year old gen z person now i guess in terms of making music so (laughs) I, uh, yeah, it took, it took a while to get to this point, but, um, it's really rewarding. And now I'm just remixing and writing and doing a lot of stuff for not even just myself. So that's pretty cool. Right. I was looking at some of the remixes you're doing for Night Sins and other bands. That's all great stuff too. Oh yeah. It's, it's great. You know, I, you know, I think that, um, well, Night Sins is incredible. I love Kyle, uh, super cool human makes great music. I also love Death of Lovers. He drums in nothing as well. Just, I really enjoy everything Kyle has done. And uh, sometimes you hear things too, you know? 
And uh, it was cool, you know, to have some friends let me do some remixes for them. And then people started asking me a little bit. And then, you know, it just started becoming its own thing. And I don't think that there were a ton of people doing those sorts of things for bands, you know? Um, And I wanted to try my hand at that because when I was coming up in terms of kind of like this sort of post-punk and rock explosion in, in Brooklyn that was happening, right? Like the rapture and yeah, yeah. And the DFA scene and like all that stuff, there was always like the song. And then there was like the cool remix that, you know, James Murphy may have done or like, you know, boys noise did or somebody, you know, for the, the band song at the time, that was a very common sort of thing. And it it kind of went away in a way. And so I was like, Oh, cool. Like, you know, I, I don't, didn't want to just do stuff for electronic artists too. I, I hear things in other people's music. I listen to a ton of stuff, you know? I mean, I haven't gone as far to do like a full-on like metal thing where I hear things, but I did a Full of Hell remix and it was awesome. It went really well, you know? Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how that started and it was uh, that sort of point of view. And now it's like just here, you know, trading and also trading remixes is very common in the electronic thing as well too so that's pretty sweet so that's how i got a couple of things coming my way too it's nice when you get that zap of inspiration that happened to me right i uh i heard a vocal that could be matched with the guitar part of another song so i went on youtube and downloaded a vocal and all these other elements and just put them together and made a remix and i was like wow i can do this too yeah no absolutely and i mean my entire i left out something pretty uh obvious is I, I DJ'd for a long time in North Brooklyn and the Lower East Side. Like uh, I would DJ a bunch. And so I always had like I always liked all sorts of different musics that would make people dance, right? Whether it be disco, post punk, uh industrial music, house music, all these things, right? And when you DJ and stuff, you get that idea of like, oh, this BPM, this song, this beat and this beat, or like this is in this key and that kind of matches with this. And you kind of like, it makes you just basically think about music in a different way, you know? So you being somebody who plays, you could hear those things obviously as well. And once you do that, it's amazing, you know, what lengths you can take it to. Like DJ Shadow was like a really big mind blowing thing for me in terms of uh, just like what was possible with even like music and DJing and stuff like that too. When you're like this motherfucker, like searched through all of these records, like tons of records, like him and, you know, Dan, the automator and stuff and made an entire originally composed thing where I'm like this drum beat here, this, you know, just sampling taken to like the nth degree. And it was so fresh and like fucking beautiful sounding. And you were just like, wow, that's, that's incredible incredible like the ear to hear all of those things and be able to put a completely new song instrument by instrument piece by piece that way it was like it it was mind-blowing to me and kind of i I think you know really influenced and changed everyone that era of of things um so yeah uh i I like to listen like that too all the time how do you uh decide to do something like that like a remix type of thing do you need to get hit with the inspiration or can you sit down with all the tools and say like i'm gonna make this happen i think it's different um 
for for everyone, you know. Um, sometimes, you know, uh, if if like Kyle is a, a friend and I just heard the song, and I'm like, oh, I can imagine how this could be in a really like electroy context. And so I asked him, I was like, hey, you got stems for that song? Let me try my hand at this. If you dig it, cool, you know. And it was more of that sort of thing. And he, he loved it. It came out great. You know, I was super excited. Some We got some love on Beatport, you know, like real like electronic music shit was like, yeah, this is a great remix, which I was, for me, that was so sick because it's just has like no context to the band world in a way. So I was really excited about that. And it kind of showed me I was kind of barking up the right tree. But in reality, you know, sometimes if I'm not as familiar or maybe, um, you know, like uh, there's a, a band I just finished doing something for called Tassel, it's a great band from Phoenix, kind of up and coming like goth EBM-ish band. And they just put out a record. I listened to a bunch of songs. I was like, and they were like, any song you want to do, you can do. So I listen. And I'm like, okay, I think a little bit about this. But really, once you get the stems and you could take things away, and really listen in that context, that's what can be really cool. All of a sudden you might notice something that like, oh, this, you know, this one like bass sound that's in this, I'm going to build the whole thing around that. I mean, it might not be that apparent in the overall song. And that's why like someone like DJ Shadow is so fucking unbelievable because he's just listening to music fully arranged, you know, and like picking out this one thing or whatever, this shaker over here, you know, four seconds from this one record and taking it and do that times, you know, whatever, 40 to create one song. And it's insane to me, you know, uh, I can turn things on and off, you know, and that's what makes it like that. So I think it's a little bit of both depending, you know? Yeah. And I would imagine if that's what you do, if you're working that muscle all the time, you just get really good at it. Yeah. I think that it's like that. And I think it's uh, also just knowing what people are coming to you for, you know, nobody's coming to me for like the reggae remix of, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, their <laughs> post-punk song or something, you know, and, and that's sort of it, you know, so you kind of just be, start developing that stuff and the music that you make, right? So then hopefully people just are kind of into that and do that. And that's kind of a really interesting thing because in band world, you don't really plug in like that as much because you're just like, I have my songs, I play my songs, you play your songs, that's cool. Maybe we play together. I, I like your shit, you like my shit, you know? Um, but now it's really interesting because that's normally the way it's been. But I feel like in the past, mm, you know, it, it like... 10 years or so there's been all these great collaborative records or even like really heavy bands and stuff because it's just the technology's gotten that good where you know boris and uniform can do a record together and these motherfuckers are in japan you know and they're in new york yeah. and they made something that's really great i really enjoy that collaborative record shout out to both those bands and geniuses but uh, you know, so, so it, it kind of, I just love the collaborative sort of spirit of it. And when you're like one person, it's very agile to kind of just move in terms of doing whatever, you, you know, feels good, I guess, you know, it's supposed to be like, Hey guys, or Hey, do you want to do this? You know, it's kind of, <laughs> do like, we have the time? Can you do it? Right, right, right. And and the planning and stuff, you know, so as you get older, that always gets a little bit more difficult. Uh, as well but uh you know a lot of it was uh the exploration of wanting to play this music too but it was also it, it allowed me to be more creative like more often you know than like okay one day a week or whatever you could get together and you can like make something 
But like, say you're having a bad day or some shit got a little fucked up or, you know, what, and this one's a bit late and, and, you know, it can really, it's a high stakes game. (laughs) It's a high stakes game here. I just, I'm like, okay, I walk downstairs and if I, it, I hear something or feel like it, I can take 20 minutes and just do it. Yeah. I love, uh, you know, being in a band is cool and I love it. But I also love working by myself because I only have me to answer to. So if I'm working on podcast stuff, it's me. If I'm having a bad day, I can reschedule. If I don't feel like editing, I can kick it to the next day. You know, I did. I I like. Uh, I love working with me. I'm my favorite person to work with. <laughs> you, you're <laughs> sick. I can. I can say Keith rocks. Um, but there you go. Yeah, but you know, yeah, it, it's it's definitely like that. But there, the magic of many people doing one thing and making it all work is like. I miss that as well. You know, when everyone plays something for the first time and you're just looking around the room and everyone's like kind of locked in, like, yeah, this is, this is fucking all right. Like, this is good. You know, oh yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful uh, thing, you know? So there's gives and takes to the, to the whole experience for sure. Exactly. So St. Vitus, we know this is a legendary venue in Brooklyn and I would say the world because everybody knows about it. So tell us about the beginning. Tell us how you got involved. Um, it all really boils down to my relationship with uh, Arthur Shepard, who is the guitar player and main songwriter in Primitive Weapons. Um, and then also became, I became his business partner at St. Vitus. So the story goes is that, um, you know, me and Chris Enriquez, who was in On the Might of Princes, who were starting this band and we needed it like a main songwriter and Artie was working at Bar Matchless in Greenpoint, RIP, uh, many moons ago, about 15 years ago. And we asked him to play with us and he knew of On the Might of Princes and like them. I was like, okay, cool. We'll give this kid a shot. <laughs> and, uh, and that worked out great. And so Artie and I were in the band and then him and our other partner, George, were opening up St. Vitus. Um, and I had been doing shows around town uh, under the name Chronic Youth with my friend Fred Makita. What's up, Fred? And uh, they kind of thought, hey, maybe we're going to do some shows here. And I remember walking into St. Vitus before it was open and the bar was just framed out and the back room was kind of there. And I was like, Oh, the space in here, you could really like do something with it and ask them if they were going to have shows. And Artie was a little trepidatious about it because he didn't like love doing shows himself, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. shows can be a pain in the fucking ass in reality. So, <laughs> um, you know, but it ended up, that when they were about to open, they asked me to kind of come in and book some shows for them. And then it just really organically started happening, you know, like they let me kind of cook, you know, the, and, and kind of do my thing and bringing, bringing in a lot of new bands. The scene in Brooklyn was really strong with a lot of cool, like metal and punk and, you know, hardcore stuff, hardcore, a little less at that time. But, uh, it was really great. And they let me do a lot of that stuff and bring stuff in and work with other promoters and stuff. And Artie, because he toured so much, he, and he's older than I am. Um, he also was in era type 11, mind over matter. Um, a bunch of other bands gave for Johnny Depp. He was just, he was out there. So he knew a lot of people as well from that. So I think that the combination 
of us in almost like two different eras because he's, you know, older than I am. I think that that was really a, a formidable combo to, to doing a lot of really cool stuff. And then it just started evolving from there uh, to becoming, you know, the place it, it is now. So, yeah, that that's basically the beginnings of it. You know, the band was really the way that we became friends and then it all started happening. So it seemed like pretty quickly things got cooking because the bar opens in 2011. And I remember I moved here in 2012 and, you know, I was really excited. Texas is the reason was reuniting. And uh, I was drinking at some bar and the bartenders were like, oh, they're going to play St. Vitus. And I didn't even understand what that was. And I didn't even know what it was at the time. But it's only a year later. And I guess it's already a destination for people to play. Yeah, I think we came along at a time where we really needed places to play to begin with. And I still think that New York could use a, a couple more in, in different ways. But um, at the time, definitely. And also, I feel like the kind of music that St. Vitus kind of, you know, is curatorially really responsible for, you know, tends to be at that time, it wasn't really what was going on and what people were really trying to book too. It wasn't like indie rock, blah, 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 boat shoes, yada, yada, shit. <laughs> so <laughs> we were like, yo, this is what we're about, blah, blah, blah. And the Texas thing happened because of the Revelations, uh, Revelation Records, excuse me, not the Book of Revelations, Revelation Records, more like <laughs> the Book of Shifles or something. But um, the the thing was there was that that was what was happening so we had like on the might of princes played game face and then like texas did stuff and like it was incredible it was really really fucking cool and uh that is also a virtue of the place being around a little bit you know i think catering to that sort of all those mute different musics and wanting you know to be um you know, really wave that flag, you know, and, uh, and then people seeing that and experiencing the room and just the vibe of it and being like, yeah, this is going to, this is sick. And, you know, uh, I think almost at first it was like, oh, this is like a, you know, metal place. So like a little trepidatious about it. But then when you realize it's just like a awesome place for underground, like rock music in a lot of different ways and different permutations, you know? And, and we wanted to kind of keep it real, um, just diverse and open, but still with that mission of like, Hey, this is sort of what we're putting on. There's, there's a lot of, you know, other places to do other things. We're trying to kind of cater to this. So, um, it, it really worked out, you know, we planted the flag. We're like, this is what this is about. And, you know, we're just lucky that people like took to it and we're really, uh, just awesome about it, you know, like put, from the bands to the, the clientele to our awesome staff, like it all just, you know, started, you know, working uh, in this way. So, yeah, and, and a lot of it organic, you know, you kind of can't plan everything, obviously. No, no, especially something like that. And I think that's part of the strength, too, is that there's a lot of different elements there, right? Like we have uh, uh, Synthicide and we have different DJ nights and the goth night. And it's not just hardcore shows. It's not just post-hardcore shows. Like you could see anyone there. You could see Hum. You could see Mineral. You could see Vein. Like it, it doesn't matter. It's like one big community. Yeah. And I think that that's also like kind of like a New York thing, you know, like when I was growing up, it was like, 
I, you know, St. Mark's place, right? It was like when it, it was like religious sex in Coney Island High, you know, it was like goth people, hardcore, with skinheads, punks, like everyone was on that street, right? It was really just like this mishmash of subculture just kind of like everywhere. And it was like really, and, and really like the Lower East Side in general, all of that. And that I think me even being the youngest and being able to experience some of that, you know, comparatively George and Artie being older than I am, that I think is what was really what we were like, you know, looking to do what we were looking for. You know, we didn't want to be one note ever, but we wanted to sort of be in that world, if that makes sense, you know? So if you look at like an old show calendar for CBs, right? Depending on who you are, you might be excited about like three or four of those shows, but maybe not all of them. But when you look at it all together, right? People now on Instagram would go like, whoa, this is so crazy. It was like, you know, Husker Du over here and then Chromag's over there. And then like, I don't know, you know, like some like pavement or some like really just, and like, look at all this, you know, different stuff. And then like, you know, how did that all kind of go together? And that was like one month at CBGB's, right? That's what made those clubs really fucking good. It made them really interesting and, and awesome, you know? Uh, it might be, you know, a Don Let's DJ night and then like something else. And you're like, wow, like all that shit happened under one roof. But, you know, maybe certain things got more famous than others or, you know, just depending on what you're looking for at, at a certain time. So I try and think back to, you know, months or different shows that, that I've done. And like, you, you mentioned hum, right? We did hum and neurosis in the same week. And I'll never forget that. And I'm just kind of like, okay, you know, I'm really excited, but uh, how much of, of that, those shows had a, a crossover of crowd, maybe like 20 people, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe, you know, so depending on who you are, I, there are people that have only seen Evitas for like death metal and black metal shows. You know, they don't go to the other shit, but that's cool. You know, use it for whatever you want. But for our project as a whole, this is what I, I like to look at. And actually, it's what makes me really excited is when we have like a lot of different but quality things going on at the same time. I think that's the secret to the success. Well, not just for St. Vitus, but for any of those classic venues. And like a... Uh, I see all those old show listings from Stalag 13 in Philly, right? When I was that when I was young, when I was 17, I was like, ah, I'm only there's only 3 bands I want to go see. But now, when I see those listings as a 41-year-old now, I'm like, why the fuck wasn't I at all these shows? Look at all these lineups. All these bands are killer. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh I was really in like my, my kind of trajectory was sort of uh in, into music in general it was really sort of like grunge music being like the the first thing and then sort of like a little bit of uh like bigger metal and stuff and then by the time i was kind of in my uh like teen years a little bit like more i was really into punk and then hardcore um yeah and then it kind of like metal kind of came back around uh to me but I, I just remember thinking now, like how many sick metal shows I missed during that time because I could not be bothered because I was like, I'm into fucking hardcore, man, like, and punk. Like, yeah. I don't like this fucking shit. And I'm like, I could have seen typo negative. Like, you know, like, I'm like, shit, like the, some of the stuff that I could have seen. It's, it's very funny how your tastes evolve or whatever. And you're like, man, I, I just remember there was like this 
group of, you know, uh, kids in high school who would like, you know, they really were into like cold chamber and fear factory and certain things like that. Um, and like, uh, we were homies. We were like, I was good with those kids, but we weren't really like seeing eye to eye on a lot of stuff in terms of like musically every now and again, like fear factory a little bit more, um, you know, and, and like maybe a couple other heavier bands. So the the heavier bands that leaned a little gothier, I, w- I wasn't like as into. And now I'm like, I could have seen Ministry. <laughs> like that, I was like, but it was just not for me at the time, which is insane to think about now, considering the whole first half of this conversation. Uh, you know, like yeah. I, prob- I make the music I do because of people like Al Jorgensen, like today, which is ridiculous. It's weird. <laughs> It's weird, like punk and hardcore. I don't know. It has some weird cult-like hold when you first get on, when you first get into it. And when I got into hardcore, I just threw ninety-nine percent of everything else out, and I was like, no, I only go see this. I think it's also a matter of youth, right? Like we all yeah. want to be a part of something, a culture, yeah. a, a vibe, uh, something that's you know kind of going on, and it, it, it's so attractive. But also, you know, hardcore, which you know really is the like the blues of rock music in 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 terms of like for punk like for american punk it's kind of like easy to play but then people could do it a million different ways and then it, it can be extraordinarily special um but i also never saw people react that way to a show to a live thing you know nowadays it's kind of like accepted it's like not accepted but expected excuse me like I go on TikTok, I see speed and like 4,000 people are going apeshit and you're like, wow, this is what happens, you know? Sometimes like media wasn't around like that when I was a kid. So I just walk into this room and I'm like, holy shit, look at what <laughs> this band is doing to these motherfuckers. This is crazy. This is right. out of control. Like, and it was so unbelievable to me. And, I, you know, it just it totally takes a hold because then any show where you're just kind of like standing around just watching a band when you're like, you know, 16 and want to just like burn the fucking world with your just ideas and just that youthful, ah, it's like, what other, you know, what other, there's like levels to this game, you know? And like, when you start discovering that it's like heavier, faster, raw, bump, bump, bump. It's like this arms race to kind of get that same high again, I feel like. And I, and that's what it is, you know? That's a great point, which I forgot to consider. It's like you go see a mainstream band, you, you're sitting up in the bleachers somewhere and they're far away and everyone's just sitting or standing and watching the band. But you go to a hardcore show, metalcore show, whatever. My first underground show, I almost died. I was three feet from the band and I was completely terrified and also hooked from that point forward. It's a visceral experience, you know, and I think that that's what you're looking for. And I think... You know, if that's the the thing and over time, maybe it doesn't give it to you as much and you move on to other things or maybe you're like, wow, I needed to scream for a while, but maybe I need to dance now or I need to cry or I I feel this way or, you know, and music, I think, is important in context, right? Like we use it in different ways, Um, you know, and I think that hardcore music is so useful and metal music so useful and just like this overall like primal catharsis sort of way of like letting this sort of energy out in in a certain way that needs to be directed in a way but music has all the colors to paint with you know 
So maybe if you're doing that a lot, maybe you need other musics for other things or, you know, maybe, you know, okay, cool. I did that on Saturday. On Sunday, maybe I'm like listening to Massive Attack in my house and just smoking some weed and hanging out, <laughs> you know, maybe that's <laughs> not like the time. And and that's really, I think as you keep growing and, and learning about music and maybe yourself as well, you can kind of do those things. But I think when you first come into contact with something like that too, that's that fucking powerful, it's never left me. You know, even there, when there are times where I obviously listen to a lot of different things and I enjoy a lot of different things, it's never left me. I, I always want heavy music in my life because I need it and I want it. Oh, yeah. You know, Absolutely. and I think that that's there's different shades of it, whatever or or however. But and, and that I can attribute to to hardcore music for sure. How many emails do you have to go through daily about bookings for St. Vitus? A lot. <laughs> are lot. we talking hundreds uh i would say that you know I, I definitely deal with a lot of booking agents and then i look at general inquiries every now and again i know i can't get to everything like that doesn't really make sense almost at all you know so i try and uh i try and there are the things that I like I have to do that I have to like, I, I literally, I have to write this and react to this and get back to these people or else the things don't happen. You know, there's many more steps than just being like, yes, you can play here to all the way to doing the show, you know? Um, but I like to try and take time to just think about music that I'm enjoying, that my friends are enjoying, that, you know, the world is enjoying really or in, in different scenes and just think about that. And then also not always be so reactive because that's sort of part of the situation that I find myself in. And I think anybody who books uh, a venue kind of full stop is that a lot of stuff comes in, right? But is that all the stuff that you necessarily want or does that make it good? That's a bigger question, I think. And it, sometimes it, you know, you, maybe you hear something that you're like, I really like love this fucking band. I want to try and get them to play New York City or do something cool. You know, I think that that's the uh, that's the thing. You know, that's what um, I, I really enjoy doing as well. And so we've flown out a lot of bands, done a lot of those sorts of things. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love that, you know, as much as, you know, doing something cool with like a classic band and all that stuff is great or underplay stuff. Uh, I very much enjoy that part of it for sure. That's a, that's a great point and a great lesson for anybody doing anything similar to what we do. You could easily be in the PR cycle and just work off of what comes in, right? But for a lot of stuff, you have to go out there and grab it if you really want it because you know some stuff is in high demand and they're not necessarily in the cycle or reaching out to you for things. So you know if you're running out and, and uh, grabbing these bands that are in headlines or bands that are cool or bands that we want to hear and, and getting them to the venue to play to make that association. That's a, that's a very good thing. Yeah. I, and I think that that's a, just about being a fan, you know, being about yeah. a, a person in the world that just like enjoys that stuff. And also talking to other people who enjoy things and sometimes enjoy things more than, than you do in certain yeah. areas. Right. And go to like maybe more shows in that or whatever. I, I, I constantly ask people like, Hey, you went to that show. How was it? Were they good? How about that opening band? I've heard a couple of things. What do you think? You know, I, I'm just mm. curious. I want to know, you know, especially yes. it's obviously people that, you know, I think have a 
cool year or, you know, we like similar things or, or maybe we like things that are a bit dissimilar. I don't mind a good argument, you know, <laughs> like tell me why. And, and I, and I think that that's an Im- important thing. And like I said, being in the room is like super key because you might be like, you know what, man, uh, like a friend could be like, yo, record's pretty cool, but live, holy fuck, they turn that place upside down. And I was mm-hmm. be like, oh, word. And I'm like, okay, cool. So maybe I got to go see it or maybe I got to like, you know, look at their live shows and stuff and be like, huh, you know, um, people in our culture now, they take things at what the end product tends to be, right? It's all a very curated experience. Like here's the po- the video, here's a song and it's recorded, like everything's there, right? But in reality, bands are always just works in progress or different uh, creative eras, artists, music in general, right? So maybe a band is better in one aspect than another or other things or, hey, I like this at the moment a little bit, but I'm really curious to see how it could go in the future. Let's invest in this a little bit. Let's bring them out. Let's do something cool, you know? Um, I think that that's, that's really a key. And to think about it, these things aren't really fucking linear, man. Like they just aren't, you know, there's no, you know, kind of like, oh yeah, this, this band is steadily going to improve for, uh, you know, 12 years and then be very good at the 12 year mark. It's like, no, that's not, this isn't fucking like bonds and annuities. Like that doesn't work (laughs) that way. And nobody really gives a fuck if you've been around for like 40 years, like you're not going to get like a fucking 401k. Like, no one gives a shit. I, I honestly care about the 23-year-old kid who made, like, a hardcore record that blows my face off and has played for, like, a year. That's great. That's wonderful to me. Like, you know, or or any musician. It just has to be something that's evocative and interesting. And it, and that's the tall and, and, and the short of it. That's what makes it kind of a mad game, too, you know? Because then there are people who really can, you know, fall off and, that's not a great thing too. you know, there are different reasons, sometimes just sometimes not. Sometimes there's artists you feel like should be 10 times bigger than they are, you know, world's not a fair place. No, and I talk about this a lot. It's just interesting. You never know what's going to happen. Band could be out of sight, out of mind for a while and come back with a record that blows everybody's minds. Band could put out their first record to be at the top of their game for a while you never know what's going to happen. It's interesting to just watch how all this plays out. Yeah, and that's culture, context, other things, and how things have their moment. Like, I remember I was listening to a podcast with Seal, and Seal recorded Kiss from a Rose, the same the song as you hear it, you know? And he was like, record came out, everything, whatever. One day, Seal gets a phone call, and uh, it's the director of Batman. And he heard this song, and he's like, I have to have the song in my fucking movie. And he was like, okay. I, I forget who did that movie. I think it was Joel Schumacher. I forget. Schumacher, yeah. 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 And so literally Seal was like, so this dude who is one of the biggest Hollywood directors flies me out. He takes me on the Batman scene. We do a whole video. This is the same exact song. And then that song goes fucking nuts. Just wow. context, culture, presentation, you know, budget, all these things, right? But the song did not change one iota but the circumstance did right and that's those are the things that happen right there's plenty of stories about like college rock radio taking a release and then all of a sudden it gets popular on college radio like back in like the 90s and all of a sudden it gets championed a bit and starts gaining traction and then that broke a band like you just never know how these things 
you know, really work. And if we did, if we really did, if the music industry at large or whatever really did, then they would be way better at their job, but they have no idea. And I don't think that I have an idea either. I can just feel it happening a little bit. And I think you can too, meaning you, Keith, and maybe the people who are listening to this at times, right? You can just sort of feel when a band has momentum or an energy or, or, or something, you know, it's harder to qualify or even a cultural moment, but those things shift. Yeah. If you're doing this for a while, and let me use the podcast as an example, you just get a sense for what bands would be good to talk to. You see bands name, you see a band's name a lot. You hear a band on Spotify radio and you're like, yes, what is this? And then you go check it out and you're like, okay, they were, you just get a sense for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that everyone's going to like, you know, miss things. And there's definitely going to be stuff that happened in New York and during this era that, you know, someday we might look back on and be like, oh yeah, like uh, I didn't care. And then it becomes something big or whatever, you know, you just never really know. And right. Or maybe you didn't really care because it wasn't really in your purview. It just wasn't what you were doing, you know? And that's one of the amazing things about New York in general. It's just like world on top of world on top of world. That's what makes it so interesting. You know, like I have friends who are world renowned DJs who play like bass music and stuff. And I go to their parties and I'm like, I know no one here except like my little crew of homies I, I came with. And like, it's fucking crazy. And it's like a whole other energy. And then you know that there's on any given Saturday night in New York City, there's just like hundreds of worlds happening at times, right? What's like the pop and jazz show or there's a huge theater production. And then there's like this sick underground techno thing Then we got like a metal show over here and like all these different things, right? I'm sure there's wild, great things happening. I'm in, in different areas all the time. It's just that's human experience. So, you know, sometimes it takes time to also you know, even find great things that you're, you're going to miss, even if you're trying to look for them, you know, yep. it's just like part of it. And now there's so much that comes out as well. You know, it's a lot of, a lot of tunes out there, a lot of music, a lot of other, um, just things that compete for attention. Exactly. There's a, there is a lot out there. I just say everything will happen when it's time, you know, when, uh, the band will get my attention when it's time, They'll be on the show when it's time. And I'm sure same for you. You know, they'll be booked at the venue when it's time. You'll hear about them when it's time. Everything has its time. Yeah. And I think it's also a matter of uh, consistency too, you know, uh, at least in my chair, just trying and, you know, having a bit of a, a, a method and just, just you know, just trying to do it. You're just endeavoring yeah. to do it, you know, just caring a bit, you know, just all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame show, the after show that happened at St. Vitus. Ah, uh, yeah, the infamous night. Yes. <laughs> Tell us about this. When, like, when did it happen? How did you get word about it? What, what was your piece in, in putting that together? I'm very curious about this. <sighs> I don't remember the exact year at this point, honestly. Uh, Wasn't it like 2014 or 15 or something like it, that? I was about to say 13, 14, maybe. One of the, yeah, around there. But long story short, that was just based i i feel like it was based on reputation and what we had been growing and you know we have a book that's coming out a coffee table book where we go into it like at length you know and a lot of stories from the bar and different things like that but basically like 
I get a call from someone who's like, Hey, I need to, you know, or I get an email rather. And it's very big, vague email. Like this dude talking to me like, Hey, is this date open? I can't tell you for what, blah, blah, blah. You know? And we're like going back and forth, this cat and mouse game. Finally we get on the phone and it's like, yo, you cannot tell a single soul about this, but this is what's going to happen. Nirvana wants to play an after show, blah, 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 grow, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I'm like, fuck. And I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, obviously, we'll do whatever. You know, we'll, we'll do it. I said, no. So it didn't happen. No. Uh, we were like, yeah. <laughs> Imagine. So we're, yeah. So we were like, okay, cool. Um, so I'm sitting there and. Now they said, don't tell anyone. Did you tell anyone? I would have had to tell at least one person secretly. No, I didn't. I didn't tell anyone at that moment. But then half an hour later, my phone rings. And it's Artie. And Artie's like, Dave, he's like, and I noticed something in his voice and he was excited and he was like, are you like sitting down? And I was like, and I just blurted out, I said, Nirvana. And he's like, dude, how the fuck did you know? I'm like, yo, I got a phone call about it. I didn't say anything to you guys just yet because I was just trying to wrap my head around it and think about it for a hot second, you know? And he was like, yo, we have a tour manager, call us, blah, blah, blah. And so we found out later on that our friend, Denise, shout out to Denise Kariki, uh, and and you know her friend Jim Roto, who had like his band had played the bar and stuff. Jim worked for Dave Grohl and did like a lot of, uh, I believe he like worked for his production company, doing like uh, like you know just doing all, all like video and production stuff, you know. And so he had played the bar and other things, and it was just like this moment where it was like this would be a cool place to do it. And it just started kind of getting filtered down a little bit. But then when the TM kind of called and then Artie and George are there, the TM walked through it and was just like, yo, Dave would fucking love this place. Called him on the phone and was like, okay, we're going to do it. And then that's when it was like, uh, set, like that process took like days. And I remember I was at another bar that I own called uh, Over the Eight and I, I heard about it. And I had, and like, I took the phone call from Artie and then I like sat down and I was like, the only person I told was my wife uh, at that point, because I was like, this is getting really serious. Like this could hap potentially happen. And then it, when it was like, yes. And then it was like holding that secret for like a week. And I was like <laughs> thinking about like people who really hold like high level secrets all the time. At the end of the day, this is a rock band playing, you know, which is incredible. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to downplay it, but like, I'm thinking like societal secrets, you know, <laughs> like things yeah. that are like, well, and I'm like, wow, how do you do that? I was like, you know, and I think our thought was just don't blow it. And we didn't. And it changed everything, honestly. Yeah. What happened? Did they all leave the ceremony and just drive over to the bar? Yeah, they were supposed to get there a bit earlier, but uh, then when they ended up getting there, but uh, I guess Bruce Springsteen, like the E Street Band took a long time playing and doing things and so all of a sudden it was like 20 black suvs just pulled up in front of vitus at like maybe like one in the morning or something like that and just like out came like everybody except for butch vig <laughs> butch vig was there early for whatever reason just like hanging out outside and i'm like uh you could come in i, I think i told him that or something i don't forget i don't remember but I definitely said something to Butch Vig of the night, but he, he was just like chilling at the ass end of Greenpoint alone, you know, or Did like, he come in. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. He was, he was <laughs> there hanging. Um, but it was just, 
like uh that sort of thing like that was just and then all of a sudden like you know 175 people descended you know uh, into the place just like you know we're either getting raided or something cool <laughs> is gonna happen you know it looked it was uh it was pretty pretty wild it's a lot of heavy hitters there. Now, what, what do you do? Do you charge people for drinks or do you just give them away? Um, every, every party is just kind of different, you know? Um, it's just a deal that you work out, you know? So it was just kind of like a normal bar night from what I remember from for that perspective, you know? Um, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not totally sure, you know? But yeah, that's just like a case by case. So you just work it out. So if they're really famous, maybe you don't charge them. If they're like sort of famous, maybe you do. I think that it's the opposite, you know, we got to go off the money scale here, you know, <laughs> you could afford it. Nah, you know, it just really, everything is different. You know, sometimes it's like a brand is involved, you know, and then like, yeah, okay, maybe there's like a great band player or something, but there's a brand involved and they paid for a bunch of stuff. Like I said, it, it's very different every time something like this has happened with us. Um so you know ahead of time what the deal is. Oh, yeah, totally. And, and that's just for every show. But like, you know, things that are a little bit more private or not, you know, like this is this is Dave Grohl's party, you know, straight up. So it's you, you kind of book it like anybody else who's trying to do like some sort of event that's sort of like that at the at the bar, you know. Obviously, you want to get it. You don't want to be like, yeah, you know, Dave, you're not trying to run like a tough bargain, you know, per se. But, you know, it was very decent, very cool and very simple. Um, they were all wonderful to deal with. And it was just, uh, yeah, something I'll never forget. Was that a uh, was that a private party? Like if I wandered by and wanted to come yes. in, would I have been able to? No. Oh, too bad. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is, you know. Yeah. How do you keep people? Did anyone try to come in and you had to turn them away? It was late, man. Nobody fucking knew. We really yeah. had like no one around. I mean, it came out, but then it was like, it was almost over, I think, or whatever, you know? It, you know, I think that was one thing that, you know, you'd be concerned about is like a ton of people just showing up, right? Um, yeah. But it didn't happen, which was a blessing, honestly. You know, those situations aren't always great. It's happened to us before, like the Descendants night. It definitely happened, you know, and it was just like, yeah. whoa. So, you know, you learn things for sure, you know, and we were really lucky. I think that that was the night when we had the Descendants uh, show, which is like the craziest thing. Um, also detailed in the book and like Artie is really at the center of that one a lot because hot water music it was hot water music and descendants and Artie's relationship with hot water music and how it all really came together and our friend Justin Skirty and everything like it just really just happened in a blink of an eye in like a matter of hours because a rainstorm is what actually like a lightning canceled their actual big show, which was Riot Fest in New York. So the way that came together was fucking truly insane. And then like literally there was like a thousand people outside of St. Vitus. Like if there was ever a time to get shut down, that was it. I cannot believe to this day that that didn't happen. I'm talking like, a line to the Pulaski Bridge. No. Swear to fucking God, man. Like, th like close. Like, all wow. the way down Clay Street. Like, ah, uh, man, yeah. And and uh, I got to be honest. Like, I saw maybe a Descendant song. Maybe a two. I was just dealing with a lot of things. But I'm happy it happened, you know? And I just remember, like, being so, like, holy shit, this is actually happening. And it's almost going to be over. And just, like, kind of having, like, this moment of zen watching everyone like freaking out, singing along. And I'm kind of like a little bit more still just 
watching it happen and just being like, wow, we fucking like did it. Like we actually got here. Cause that was, that was like a fucking, that was a different thing. It <laughs> just the, the vibe of it, you know, and, and the, the chaos of it a bit, but luckily it, it turned out great. You know, it was a beautiful night in general, you know, like the whole thing was really fucking cool, but I got to be honest about all sides of that. Yeah, I, uh, great night, I'm sure, but I imagine stressful with uh, a thousand people descending on the venue. But um, is there is there ever any noise complaints? I know there's like apartments around there and and people who live above. Is is does that cause any difficulties? It's New York City, man. There's always different things about getting along between businesses and other people and stuff like that. And we do mm. the best that we can. All right, let's let's say this. Are there certain people who are allowed to come in for free whenever they want? I think that's true of any place. Mm, I see. I th- see, I think about uh, Bam Margera. He opened a club called The Note in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And I remember reading this from news stories and him. There was a woman who lived above the club and she just always complained about the club and they would ask bands to turn down and according to Bam, she was a big problem. And then at one point, I think a relative of hers like assaulted Bam outside of the venue. And it was it was just a problem the whole time the venue was open. So I, I think about like, well, what about St. Vitus? Is there I think you could think about every single place in the world like that. That in, yeah. in, in the entirety of New York City. So yeah, nothing, close quarters. Nothing unique to uh like us or anything else you know it's just the city at large is just it's the city people just remember where you live and how loud and crazy it is because it's new york city that's what it is you know so yeah that's where we'll leave it (laughs) we're gonna leave it right there we have to plug the book the saint vitus bar book by nathaniel shannon yeah man i mean like basically some of the you know bigger shows or just like crazy things that have happened are all in there. Um, and like a ton more, but we talk about like in detail, Nathaniel did a fucking unbelievable job compiling 350 pages of, you know, ephemera, uh, interviews, essays, uh, you know, I mean, tons of photos. Nathaniel himself is an incredible photographer, um, that really just paint the picture, you know? So it's kind of like a, you know, visual and oral history of the first 10 years of the bar. So it's got, you know, the, I gave you my perspective on Nirvana or my perspective on the descendants, but in the book you get it from everybody really who was like involved in stuff. So it's really cool. And it's, you know, even for me and, you know, just when we saw like the, the demo copy, you know, between me, George and Artie, we were just, you know, talking about old times and remembering things and like what happened there, blah, blah, blah. It's a good conversation starter and very much, a, you know, a coffee table style book like that. And it's really beautiful. So Nathaniel did a fucking kick-ass job and yeah, it, it, it came out great. The Kickstarter did well. It's in production now. And uh, yeah, and we're, we're going to get copies hopefully, you know, October, November, uh, like late October, November is sort of what we're on track for right now. So hopefully we have it by then, but uh, you know, we're making a 350 page book, so there's things, right. But it's looking good. So um, yeah, it's really amazing. And I'm just really, you know, proud of it and proud of Nathaniel and the team who you put it together. And, you know, I was, 
a subject, you know, and the things that we've all done to put into that place, you know? So it's cool to just like, look at it. It's like my fucking CV tombstone hybrid. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's Nathaniel is great. He's, we've worked with him before, you know, some images of his have ended up, uh, in use for the podcast and, uh, the picture of the cover I've see I saw online. It just looks really incredible. Three hundred fifty pages. Wow, that's gonna that's exciting. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it feels really good, and he did just an, an amazing job. And like, yeah, I just you know, it's really a fun thing to have around. And if you've been to the bar a lot, or even if you're just interested in the music, right? Like, th- like most of it is just amazing visual documentation and like little things around this place, but it features a million awesome bands, you know? And like, that's what makes the place sweet. Like I always use this analogy, like St. Vitus is like a PS five, but it does, if it doesn't have any good games, then nobody wants to play. Right. Like the bands are like the games, you know, but we're like this good console. Like we're, we're like, you know, we can house it and we can make it good and the graphics are sweet and the gameplay is awesome, but we need good games, right? So if you're into these kinds of musics, there's tons of bands that, you know, you'll see cool shots of stories of quotes, all this stuff. Like it, it's really something. And I, you know, it took a long time to put together, but the the product was really blew me away. You know, that's a great comparison. Cause I bought a PS five earlier this year and I'm like, why? You know, all the games are still backwards compatible with PS4. There's no exclusives yet. Like, I could have just bought everything for PC. I got to be honest. I have a PS4. I'm chilling. I'm chilling right now. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't make the power switch yet. I was flush with cash for like a minute in February. So I'm like, let me just get it out of the way now. Good for you. Well, when the exclusives (laughs) start coming, you can go laugh at me. (laughs) When can we get the book? How can we get the book? Is it only through uh, Kickstarter supporters? Will it be available for people outside the Kickstarter to purchase? What's the story? The story is that right now, um, the Kickstarter closed only like a couple weeks ago. And so we're just kind of waiting on the turnaround of a couple of things in terms of just when the book is going to really get here. Uh, Before we kind of like offer the next way to get it, we've sold through... I'd say close to, I think close to like 70% of the run as well. So there's not like a ton left. So we're trying to sort of see at this moment in between these two things, right? We want to get a couple of them like in select stores in Brooklyn and around. So we're working on a couple of those things so they can be available in a couple of stores. And then like how much of the rest do we want to sell directly and stuff? So that's just a little bit of the balance of what we want to do. Cause you know, books aren't small you know, and we are a bar too. So it's a little bit of a different thing than selling like a t-shirt, you know? So we want to just make sure that we do that right. And also, you know, we're a bar that's open, you know, at six o'clock, you know, most days or whatever, you know, so we want to make sure that people can kind of get it like locally in, you know, at a time that's maybe a bit more convenient for them or whatever, you know? So we're working out the next kind of phase of like selling through this run right now. So it's just a little bit in between there, but we'll have details for that definitely in the coming weeks. What's the craziest or most ridiculous thing you have experienced working at St. Vitus? Now let's take out uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame show and the Descendant slash Hot Water Music show. That's a tough question, man. Um, I think that, I don't know. I, I like there's a lot of like like kind of goofy stuff 
Give us one of those because we've all read about uh, Dave Mustaine and all the celebrity and uh, guest appearances and historic performances that have that have happened there. Give us something like really random and goofy. Okay, how about this? I got something. So luckily, people don't get into fights at Vitus often. That's just like an amazing thing, which is cool because I feel like people respect the place. But a fight that broke out that I'll always remember is it uh, because I I heard about it the next day. It was at a Jeff Rickley acoustic show was like a true, like a, a true brawl broke out. So I've seen some of the craziest bands in the world, like play at Vitus, you know, like insane heavy shit, you know, like Earth Crisis in One King Down, you know, whatever, Sheer Terror, Madball, whatever, Jeff Rickley Acoustic, we're throwing fucking hands. A full on brawl. Yeah, that happened. Does anyone know what it was over? Um, I forget the details at the, at the time, but... You know, I got to see their cameras and stuff. So I was just like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Was it while he was playing? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Was it in the performance area? Uh, I think so. It got broken up pretty quickly, but it was just like, how, man? What are we we (laughs) thinking here? Like, Here's a good one. Soft Kill played, where was I? Music Hall of Williamsburg. And a big brawl broke out during that. And someone yelled, who gets in a fight at a post-punk show? I thought that was really funny. <laughs> That's that exactly like this is what we're talking about here. It takes all kinds, I guess. I don't know, you know. But here we are brawling at the soft kill show. <laughs> How did the hum show get booked? That's one I really wish I would have made, but I I was just a mess at the time, and I barely even made it to the hum show. I ended up going to. I was a really big fan, and. Uh, This story is in the book too, but or like a quote about it. But what's really cool about it is that it's something that was particularly personal to me, which was I when I first started working in New York City uh, at a bar called Fat Baby, my friend Lyle, who is my manager at the time, I was a bar back. He is from Champaign, Illinois, Mm. which is where Hum is from. Yes. And one day I was at work and he was like, yo. So my boy Matt, blah blah blah, and I was like, "Oh, what's up?" And he's like, "He's like, they're in Hum," and I was like, "Yo, they look so familiar." And he knew that I was a fan, and I was like, "Oh fuck," you know? I was like, "I was like, oh shit, that's so sweet." And we hung out a bit, and they were just really cool people. And they were visiting Lyle real quick. I think it was only, I think it was Tim Lash, and I think I'm not exactly sure, but I think Tim was definitely there. Uh, and then I think maybe one other member of the band, and then a couple other friends that were. They were just like visiting, hanging out, and they had not played, you know, at all, right? But from that, and I was, no, I was 17 years ago um, now. And so I just remember that. And, you know, and Lyle gave me, you know, we would talk about like Yesu, and he was into this band Love Cup from that area. And like, we, he, we were just like, he, you know, he, he was putting me on to stuff. It was, it was great. And we would talk about music all the time. Lyle's awesome. Shout out to Lyle Hodges. And so I saw that Hum played a show in Champagne while Vitus was around years later. And so I was like, Lyle, I was like, yo, you got to let me get at your boy. I need to get Hum to play at Vitus. And he's like, yo, no doubt. So he put me in touch with Tim and he's like, I don't know if we're going to really do much or whatever, but if we do, I'll definitely, you know, let you know or whatever. I was like, I would just fucking be over the fucking moon 
to do so. And like a year plus went by since that, you know, moment where they played uh, that show in Illinois. And then all of a sudden it was like, yo, we're going to be back and playing. And I got a call to book them. They did Webster Hall and then they did St. Vitus just because they wanted to. And I think it was because I was just really in there. Like as soon as they played Champagne and then Lyle put me in touch and I was like, I, I got this bar. I really want to do this. And they're just really cool down to earth people. And they really wanted to do, I think something on that scale as well. So it really just worked out beautifully. It was an amazing night to hear, you know, songs like that, that I got, grew up listening to, you know, in that room. And then, I mean, that last home record is absolutely phenomenal. Inlet, I believe is the name. The one with the purple cover is just fucking sick as hell. Like unbelievable how they came out. I'll never forget the day that record dropped. There was no warning we didn't hear about it. It was just new hum record, first one in 20 years. And I was like, <gasps> like freaking out on the phone, texting people. Did you hear it? Did you see? Yeah. And I was just like, yo, this is so fucking good. Like they just killed it with Inlet. Like it was just, it, it was like as if they'd been playing and just evolved their sound and the modernity. But there was like even more like in the production, but even like more, I, I think thicker slabs of, of like guitar heaviness, which that juxtaposition, the way that they did it was so special to me about them. And they kind of just somehow, you know, just evolved that, but with keeping that humness to them and the way that the vocals are and everything. And it was just absolutely beautiful, man. Like that record is so good. And to be on the shelf for 20 years and that, happening you know and that being that good was amazing i just remember also like my wife marissa she's not the biggest fan of all of like the, the heavy music i listen to and stuff like that we have a lot of musics we like in common but you know she's not going to be like oh yeah i'm really going to pick up that new death metal record that's not really what she's into but that's a record that we listen to together all the time and it's satisfied just kind of like everything you know and i anytime a record does that for us i feel like wow this is like a real crossover moment in a way it's like a major home run you know like because she loves rock music of that era and stuff like that too so they just they blew it apart with that and um yeah that that show was really special and awesome i i, I loved it and the way that it came about was just like Guy walks into a bar, you know, and then like years <laughs> later remembers this fucking crazy thing. Oh, yo, I know somebody who can get at them. And that's a lot of things in, in life, I guess, you know? Yeah. And with Hum specifically, it seems like you really have to know someone directly in the band to make things happen. Yeah, I guess so. You know, uh, like I, I haven't really dealt with them a ton, uh, you know, outside of that or or whatever, you know, so... I'm not really sure how they operate a ton, you know, but it was definitely felt like some home cooking for sure. I love it. It's a good position to be in. St. Vitus is a modern, legendary venue. I'm sure you're ha I'm sure you have your pick of any bands you want to book. I'm sure you're booked out probably for the rest of the year. Everybody wants to play there. It's a good position to be in. Yeah, it's nice. Um, that being said, it's like I, I want to make sure that people have the perception like you can come and play here you know yeah we are we busy yes are we always busy no but we want to hear from you you know like i, I want to always hear try and hear bands and understand those things and like 
certain seasons are busier than others. And honestly, that's, it's cool. You know, like we're out there, we're listening, you know? And so, um, there, there's always that aspect to it. And, uh, I think it's just also about continuing to stay consistent for us, you know, like you just, you, you, you're running a race, you know, and you want to keep the pace, you know, and continue to do great things. So hopefully we can just do that, you know, and provide what we provide to people. And, you know, I, I still make music, you know, so I'm going to play there in two months and I want it to be good for me as well as for the audience and so on and so forth. So all of that, you know, for that to happen and continue to happen takes, takes a lot. So keeping that consistency, I think is, uh, is, you know, important. What's the gig in two months? Confines or primitive weapons? It's, uh, it's Contravoid is headlining and Confines is playing. And so is Comfort Cure and, uh, Boiled Angel is DJing. So my friend Amino is a great DJ and it's going to be sick. Is there potential for more from Primitive Weapons in the future? Because you said uh, the band never actually broke up. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it just really depends on, let's see if we play a show and that kind of spurs something and if we can actually make it happen. You know, Chris is in Spotlights, you know, Artie has got a new band called Ben who's playing um, and he's got a show with another band that I can't talk about or it's going to happen for him. And then he's doing every type 11 as well. Uh, they're playing uh, a couple of shows coming up as well. And then Eric lives in Minnesota. He's opening a new bar. You know, we, there's, there's things like in our lives right now, you know, but I don't think that that book might be totally closed, but, and we're open to still playing live every now and again. So it just really depends, you know, just really depends on finding the time and, and that, it just feels right. N- nothing more, nothing less. Excellent. Well, uh, hey, is there any uh, any band or anything coming up for you we didn't cover that you want to plug in the end here? Um, I think that there's nothing, you know, we covered confines and, and, and weapons and stuff like that. Um, all that I would really say is that just keep checking out Vitus and check out our calendar, go to shows, go out, support live music and in all its ways and and enjoy it and uh you know try and uh get away from the algorithm you know take some adventures out there people and uh and see what you might find that's good advice good advice that i myself try to follow uh as much as i can but uh david you've done a lot you're doing a lot and hey you're doing a great job at vitus it's my favorite place to see shows in brooklyn and anywhere in the city so thanks for what you do and thanks so much for coming on the show Thank you, Keith. Really appreciate it. And there you have it, David Castillo. Excellent, excellent conversation. Really interesting. You know, aside from all the great music David is involved with, the stories about St. Vitus and booking there and all the madness of some of those shows, the Hot Water Music Descendants show happening at the last minute, and that epic story of the Nirvana reunion, that post-Rock and Roll Hall of Fame show, that was uh, pretty compelling stuff. And since, uh, since that conversation with David, there's been some primitive weapons news. It turns out they're playing a gig. The Brutal Panda Records... 15th anniversary showcase that's happening december 9th at saint vitus that's with rid of me 
and a whole bunch of other great bands. Primitive Weapons are back. They're going to play that gig. So if you're in New York City, go. But uh, yeah, really great conversation with David. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much, David, for coming on the show. So let's check in, huh? How are we doing? I'm doing good. I'm gearing up for some Darling Fire shows that are happening this week, end of this week, and a couple next week as well. So I'll be in the South for a little while while I play these shows. Uh, Getting ready for that. It's another rainy weekend here in New York City. I can't believe it. It's just nonstop rain lately. But again, I will take that over deadening heat in the summer. Because at least with the rain, it's cool out, and I can just sit inside and work on stuff like I do anyway. And then if I have to go somewhere, it's not, uh, you know, burning hot out. So whatever. Uh, So I'm gearing up for these Darling Fire shows. I'll be leaving mid this week to head down to Atlanta and Florida. That's where the shows are. One in South Carolina, too. So if you're listening and you live anywhere near one of these shows, come on out. It'll be a good time. Other than that, it's pretty much business as usual. I've got nothing new to report. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. So with that in mind, let us move to the New Scene Community Hour, which is usually only a few minutes. Okay. So a couple things are happening. Number one, Eric Rattensperger of the great Jerome's Dream was on ATI podcast, and he had this to say about the new scene. Um, but another music podcast is um, our buds, the the new scene. Hmm. This guy Keith is hosting it. Um, he uh, the new scene is going super hard right now, which is covering a lot in punk rock and hardcore. So props to them. How about that, huh? Hmm. That's me. I'm that guy, Keith. And uh, yes, we are going hard. Uh, There's a lot of... I've hit pretty much all my dream guests at this point. So there's only a couple more left. And then once I do those, uh, I'm done. The podcast is over. I'm retiring. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's not going anywhere. I'm not going to stop. This is like the main thing I do right now. Um, Yeah, so we've got more amazing shows coming up. So strap in for that this year. More amazing shows this year happening. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, listen, Eric, thank you so much for the continued kind words uh, when you're on podcasts. I really appreciate it. Jerome's Dream, The Gray In Between, one of the absolute best records this year that I've heard, and by far the best live performance I've seen this year. If I have the chance to see them again, I really... I'm. I hope I have the chance to see them again. I'm going to go because I was sick when I saw them earlier this year. So I just rushed in there and saw it and then left. But, you know, I, I want to enjoy it more next time. Not sick. Excellent, excellent band. Thank you, Eric. Oh, and check out Eric's podcast, Microspy. He's had on a lot of guests we know and love. And uh, moving on, another article was written about the show. How about that? Loudersound.com did a story on Drowning Man and their unreleased record, Best Record Ever. Uh, If you listen to our episode of The New Scene with Simon Brody, that's episode 101 of this show, Simon tells the story of uh, they had to fulfill a contractual obligation for another record on Revelation Records, so Simon conceived the idea of Best Record Ever, which is basically just a bunch of trolling songs, you know, uh, Guitar Center duo, Guitar Center duel, where they play like Sweet Home Alabama and some other song against each other in in 
two speakers and just a lot of wacky stuff that uh, you would expect Simon to come up with. It's really funny. That's just one of the many amazing stories Simon told on episode 101 of this podcast. So check it out. And uh, if you're interested in reading the article, head over to loudersound.com. That's my favorite thing, I think, now when someone uh, takes a story that was told on this podcast and turns it into an article. I love that. I just love that. That's awesome. Episode 195 of this podcast with Sammy Saramataro of Drain. That's been getting a lot of traction. That was a really awesome episode. Ryan McInturf had this to say on Facebook. I loved this. So laid back. I just wanted to hang out, surf, and get in a phone booth that George Carlin arrives in. (laughs) Thank you, Ryan, for those kind words. Yeah, Sammy was a trip, man. He is a character. He is a character and a half, and he was super fun to talk to. So if you have not heard his episode of this podcast yet, go do it. So that's it. That is it for this week. That's all I've got. So thank you, everyone, for your continued support of the show. Uh, Really appreciate it. We're going to keep grinding away and bringing you the highest quality podcast content. It's never going to stop. I'm going to be here every week, no matter what. So... Once again, just reminding you, I do need your help to get us over 200 reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We're getting very close on Spotify. We should close that gap soon, but we've got a long way to go on Apple. So if you have an iPhone, open the podcast app, search the new scene, hit that five-star button. I just need you to hit the five-star button. You don't have to write a whole review if you don't want to, but we've got a long way to go. So thank you for helping me get there. And that's it. That is it for this week, but I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thanks everybody for listening, and until next time.